Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Homo Sapiens listeners. I'm just jumping on here, did you hear me jump, to tell you that we have exciting news. If you want to listen to Homo Sapiens without the ads, now you can. You can subscribe to Homo Sapiens Plus on Apple Podcasts and all future episodes will be ad-free. How do you sign up? Well, go inside your Apple Podcasts app, go to our Homo Sapiens homepage, and the option to subscribe to Homo Sapiens Plus for £1.49 a month is there. There's also BT Dubs, a seven-day free trial available, so you can try before you buy, which is my favourite. I like to do that in the supermarket, whenever they've got a little snack being handed out. Anyway, I digress. Hello, everybody. Welcome to your friendly neighbourhood podcast, Homo Sapiens. I'm in a tag-teaming, what's it called, multitasking mood today, listeners, because uh, my little daughter is teething, so she's screaming. So I've got her on a camera next to me. So if I suddenly have to rush off, it's because she started screaming. Uh, currently, baby cam says sleeping. Long may that rain. You'll hear the bloody screaming, I tell you, if it happens. It's uh, got some lungs on her, let me tell you. What else have I got to tell you? Well, just call me Jamie Oliver, because if you remember, lovely listener Anthony wrote in and gave me his recipe for Eve's pudding, because I was saying, what do I do with the apples that I picked off a tree in my garden? Listeners, what did I do over the weekend? Had some mates over, and I cooked them the Eve's pudding. It is delicious. Anthony, thank you so much. I videoed, I did a recipe video because I wanted you all to try it. So I'm going to put that on the Instagram. It's kind of like a cake mixture that you put, you mix in with chopped up apples and you put it in the oven for half an hour. Oh my God, it went down a storm. I also made a crumble. Could you tell I've got apples to get rid of? No one was so interested in that. Eve's pudding stole the show, can I tell you? So um, I'm going to post a video so you can all make it should you want to. Um, It's November. What does that mean? It's Trans Awareness Month. I want to hear from you all. Please write in. Tell us about your trans icons. Tell us about your own journeys as a trans person. We would love to come and chat to you. If you are one of those, you know, so many people wrote in saying, can we have more LGBTQ plus stories from rural thingy? Can we come and meet anyone trans out there who's a listener who would like to tell us their story? Look no further. I will trot up. I'll take uh, whatever train it would be to your house and come visit you or we could do it over zoom but you know i'll bring in eve's pudding that's all i'll say today we've got a really nice episode we stand upon the precipice of a landmark hollywood moment bros the movie has hit screens all over the world and it is the first ever mainstream studio big hollywood studio queer rom-com it stars billy eichner and luke mcfarlane and it is a blockbuster it is a brilliant film full of so many of the complexities of what it is to be gay and actually the guy he plays the lead character in it is a podcast host which was quite funny and his podcast host trying to work out 
you know, the cut and thrust of being a gay man, well, I could relate, is all I'll say. It's in the cinemas, and it's just everything you'd want from a rom-com. It's hilarious, it's heartwarming, it's tear-jerking, it's about stuff as well. That's what I loved about it. And it, you just this relationship, and bros, the title, is, is, is about the fact that queer men are often... Uh, there is a sort of hypnosis around the people who present as bros and why do we do that and what does it mean? That was the stuff I loved about it because that whole bro culture in gay clubs is something that, you know, I had some scrapes in. I always loved a bro. Now, as I've learned to love myself, I don't quite so much. Plus, every cast member with the speaking role is LGBTQ+, which is really cool, even the ones playing straight roles, apparently. And today, I chat to Billy Eichner, the star, and Luke McFarlane, the other star, and I'm talking to them about their own dating lives and their dating history, and I got them to answer some of your agony uncles, because you had uh, sent in some agony uncles about relationships, so we do it all. And we asked you on socials lots of questions about your own dating life, so we're going to be going through that as well, because bros is all about dating basically the film is about dating it's a rom-com um hello everybody but klaxon the new homo sapiens t-shirts are here we're going to post them on socials if you write a review on review of the week you could win one i'll post the photo on socials so you can see what they are see what you're getting uh they're very funny so that's exciting Stay in touch. Hello at Homo Sapiens Podcast. Please just write that email. We love hearing from you. Or on Instagram at Homo Sapiens and tell you what you thought about each episode. Have you listened to Duvalu, our last episode? Please do if you have not. It's a lovely one. Lots of lovely messages. So last week, Tuvalu was talking about sad bangers. You know, those songs like Robin Dancing on My Own, for example, the, the zenith of bangers, sad bangers. Uh, and people have been getting in touch telling us theirs. So your pet porter got in touch and said, the band, The Rose, do sad bangers better than anyone and the vocals are beautiful. Ooh, I need to listen to that. Never even heard of this band. Do you remember Scarlet, Something Love Song? That was sort of, it wasn't really a banger because it wasn't a dance song, Scarlet. Independent Love Song. Do you remember that song? <gasps> God, if anyone else remembers that, please write in because uh, it was, it was just the the peak of my gay angst is all I'll say. Oh, baby's moving on the monitor. Splayed arms. Seems fine. False alarm. Okay, where was I? It was also Ace Awareness Week last week. Some of our asexual listeners got in touch to ask who their asexual icons were. So people to look up if you don't know these people already. Orakinski and Nick said Ace Dad Advice. Eric said Spongebob. Uh, Forgive me for not knowing this. Is Spongebob asexual or is that a joke eric i don't understand well please educate me we also asked those who identify as asexual what this means to them orakinski said not having my sexuality be connected to other people was the reason that's really interesting nick then said when i realized and accepted that i'm asexual years of inner torment went away it's freeing oh nick i'm thrilled to hear that torment we like to be low on torment and it's really nice to hear that from you and actually and know that you are in a place that is improving. Print 71 says, living happily outside the compulsory relationship and sexual roles demanded by general society. I mean, Print 71, yes, please. I think anyone who lives outside of that is it's the key to happiness, to be quite honest. So basically, we put some things out on social. So I'm going to read you the questions and then I took some of them to Billy and Luke in the interview. 
First question we asked you was, tell us the worst date you've ever been on. 82% of you said, my dating life is a dumpster fire. 18% of you said, my dating life is a dream. And then I've written on this piece of paper, I'm reading this from, freeze chicken. So I've seen you to remind myself to do that. No recollection. Haley said, so we're talking about worst dates. People elaborated. Haley said, I had a hookup with a girl who wouldn't stop talking through our entire sexual encounter. Now, Haley, was that talking in a like, um, where do you like going for dinner? I once went on a date with someone who wouldn't stop doing that. And they were talking really loudly in a gig. Uh, we weren't having sex in the gig. We were in the crowd. Uh, but they wouldn't stop talking, asking. Re- and, and they said, have you ever been in love before? In front of like loads of people. It was really strange. But you had a hookup with a girl who wouldn't stop talking. Um, was this because they were like talky, like like saying stuff? and Or was it like they were just making conversation about the weather? Hayley, please let us know. Ed says, turned out to be a loan shark and incredibly rude. Oh, Christ. God. BBC DC Rayton says, he nearly bought a holiday to Spain for us on a second date. I only went on the second date out of politeness. Oh, heavens. When they come in strong. Can I just say, when they come in strong as well, it's it's to do with them projecting. They aren't really trying to engage and get to know you. They have just decided that you are this thing that they want, which is a partner. And they start trying to jump to all that stuff. I think it's such a red flag. Or a grey flag is one of the things that people keep talking about these days. I want to know what your grey flags are, listeners. Or your red flags. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com. Now, I took some of these to Luke and Billy later, which was funny. Second question we asked you. I'm thrilled about this because I'm proud of you all. Are you a romantic data? Hell yes, said 71%. No thanks, said 29%. Well, I love a romantic data, so 71% of you, thank you. What's the most romantic thing you've experienced or done for someone? This is really sweet. Someone said, my girlfriend leaves me love notes for me to find in my desk drawer, the cupboard, my books, etc. See, romance costs nothing if you just do lovely touching things like that, listeners. Should you wish to? I'm talking to the 71% here. 29% won't be interested. Do you use dating apps? Yes, said 65%. Interesting. No, thank you, said 35%. So 35% of you are not contactable on dating apps. Tell us your dating app stories, we said. Polly, I was chatting to a woman on Bumble who was 20 years older whilst I was at uni. Okay. When I turned up to beg for a uni essay extension, it turns out she was in fact the course coordinator. She, oh my God. And then she blocked me on Bumble after that. What the cheek of it? Excuse me. James. Now, James organised a Bumble date and the guy turned up in full cycling spandex. I'm going to say, is that not potentially kind of hot? Sorry if I'm, you know, makes me strange. But I don't know. Kind of cool. Ask as if I wanted to eat. I declined. He proceeds to pull out a freshly made egg mayonnaise sandwich from his cycling shorts. Oh, my God. And eat it at the table in front of me. Okay, no one needs a sweaty egg mayonnaise sandwich on a first date. I once went on a date with someone who got really hangry. It was all a bit intense. I mean, honestly. Someone else says, anonymous, on a first date, he took me to see Graham Norton live. Wow, that's a great first date. I had to sit with him for three hours watching it. Not so great. Well, I always find going to the cinema a bit odd. This is me, sidebar. Um, bit odd as a first date because you just sit next to someone doing something else that you could be doing at home. It doesn't really make any sense. Anyway, uh, back to the um, message. When it finished, we parted ways and I never spoke to him again. Good show, though. How funny. Would you write in and tell us what show it was? Who were the guests? When was it? Um, then we can see if we can spot you in the audience. 
And then agony uncle dating questions are the ones that I take to Luke and Billy. So we will hear about that question. We've got a great answer. Really fascinating, actually. Let's go and have a listen to these two. I really love this film. I think it is so nice to feel like we're living in a world where there is the dawn of, you know, big major studios telling queer stories. This is a gay male story. Let's have more of everyone else off the LGBTQ plus spectrum and beyond. Uh, But, you know, this is progress whatever way we look at it. Still no movement on the baby monitor, so I'm winning. So let's go and have a chat. These two are so funny and so nice. You have been on a very, very long promotional tour. Both looking bright as a button there. Oh, thank you so much. It's certainly been a lot of promo. And, you know, I think it came out of, like, all of us really being so proud of the movie and really passionate about it and knowing that it was an uphill battle to get people to see it, to get people to the movie theaters, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so we wanted to do everything that we could to, uh, you know, get people as excited about it as we are. I do remember thinking at a certain point, like, oh, are they promoting this movie because, you know, Universal is doing it sort of virtue signaling, like saying, like, look, we made a gay movie. Mm -hmm. But that is not the case. I think they really essentially believe in the film. They totally believe in the film. It is one of the best reviewed films they've put out in in a while. So they can stand behind that, you know, and that it does also happen to be a queer story. But it's not because they're doing the correct thing. I think they really, really believe in the film. Yeah. Yeah. And it's Judd Apatow's best reviewed film ever or something. Did I read that? I did hear that. I, I, I mean, can't, I can't confirm that myself, but I like <laughs> how it sounds. <laughs> I like how it sounds. I great. don't know if it's true. <laughs> Let's go with it. Stick it on the poster okay, by great. this evening. Yeah. And tell me a bit about the process of getting it made. Did you feel that people understood what you wanted to make, or do you feel like you really had to explain? To I mean, you always have to explain what you want to make, you <laughs> know. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we're in a business of, you know, we're all salesmen at the end yeah. of the day, you know, especially making something at a major studio. Um, you know, you've got to go in and you've got to sell the dream. But I've always had to do that. Um, that's what we all have to do as as writers or creative people. Um, but Nick Stoller, who I co-wrote the movie with, who directed the movie, he, you know, has written and directed a bunch of successful movies and TV shows for Getting Sarah Marshall and Neighbors, which I think here is called Bad Neighbors and its sequel. Um, and he's worked with Judd Apatow quite a bit. Um, and they're, they're close. Um, and... Nick brought the idea of doing a movie as a comedic vehicle to me. Mm -hmm. Um, He said, I worked with him on a show he did for Netflix called Friends from College. And um, the way he tells the story, we premiered, you know, it's a Netflix show, so it was a TV series. But we premiered the first two episodes in New York at a movie theater. And he said he felt that watching me in a movie theater on the big screen that I could you know, sort of be at the center of my own movie because the audience was responding well to me. And so Nick Stoller. Every single time he showed up, he just crushed. And I thought to myself, he's a movie star. <laughs> yes, that's how Nick... <laughs> that's not at all how he yeah. sounds. I don't know where that, that voice came from. I was very Woody but, Allen. But it is what Nick... That's how Nick tells yeah. that story. So right. thank you for yeah. not having me tell I could see you walking uh, yourself into yes. a corner here. And I was like, I got you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so Nick brought the idea to me. And then I he said, do you want to co-write it with me? And mm. you can start it and I'll direct it. And he mentioned from the beginning that Judd had an interest in doing a movie like this too. And Judd mm. came on board. And 
I said to him from the beginning, I said, of course I want to do it. I was hugely flattered, you know. I haven't done many movies and I've never written a movie. But I said it was important to me that it be authentic to the gay male experience as I know it. Yeah. No one can speak for every gay man. But I needed it to be authentic to my life and the lives of my friends. That you couldn't just do when Harry met Sally and slip in two guys and have the story play out the same way. Um, as much as I love When Harry Met Sally and those movies, it just wouldn't be realistic. And so that was my priority, that the movie be really funny and have a lot of jokes, but also be honest. And they were always on board with that. And that's how it started. Well, that's one of the things I loved about it, because I think, uh, you know, it's the gay male experience I can speak to as well, you know, and I don't want to try and talk for anyone else. But that whole bro culture thing yeah. is so omnipresent. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, it's uh, it's really scary if you're not one of those people uh, mm. because I always just found, like, I was just like, oh, I must be that, but I'm not, and, mm. I'm, and I'm sort of right. too lazy to try, mm. to be quite honest. <laughs> so, That's funny. So instead I'll be really funny and really successful. <laughs> whatever. Like, I'll, try, I'll try. I'll just stand on the balcony staring at the bros <laughs> down below. And be like, do, yeah. yeah. But was that your experience of queer culture? And, Luke, I understand that you kind of felt like perhaps this character has spoken to a bit of your own experience. You have passed as a bro in the queer world. Sure. Is that true? Yeah, I think uh, it's always so funny. It's always sort of difficult to talk about this because we've mm. obviously, you know, I, I've gone through many sort of iterations of self yeah. and change, you know, whether that's a sort of physical change or also a perspective change, you know. But I do think the thing that's similar for all of us here in the room is that this sort of, you know, masculine sort of male that was fed to us in the media was, yeah. was omnipresent, you know, mm -hmm. whether that was Abercrombie or Calvin Klein or, you know, this idea that there were all these guys sort of hanging out together that might kiss yeah. but are actually just going to play football together, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I actually also, you know, to speak to my own career – I was on a show called Brothers and Sisters, and my character was sort of this... He's very different than Aaron, you know, the character I play in Bros, and that he was very comfortable with who he was. And I remember as that show was coming to an end, going, like, I have to get ready for the next thing. Mm -hmm. I have to sort of change and make myself sort of something else. Mm -hmm. um, but I sort of did that in relationship not to sort of getting sex, mm -hmm. but into getting parts. Right. You know, like that's what I felt like I had to do for my career. It's made it more financially rewarding. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because the sex thing was taken care of. No, but like, <laughs> but I, I didn't have that the same relationship to sort of hookup culture as I did to sort of my professional acting career. Okay. And then because do you feel like there is, and I feel like there's a bit of this arc in the film as mm -hmm. well. If you kind of look like the Abercrombie, can walk like the Abercrombie, you can do it. You kind of weirdly don't have to introspect that much. Right. And you feel like you're winning at gay. Right. Yeah, exactly. And you, therefore, it's that passing privilege thing, isn't it? Sure. But I, I, I was so grateful that the script was able to sort of, it was able to peel that back and that Aaron actually wasn't only that mm. you know yes. i mean it could have been easy that he sort mm. of rejects him but you might feel like you're winning at gay quote unquote on the outside but i know a lot of people who kind of walk through life like that kind of trying to live successfully living up the gay men who are like yeah. buff and ripped and moving through the world um in this very sort of conventionally attractive way who are deeply sad uh, dissatisfied people underneath the surface. Um, and and it's, it's always more complicated. Like, I think for both of the characters, they are more than meets the eye underneath. And I think, you know, one of the goals with the movie was to 
you know, have two gay men at the center of a mainstream story that were multidimensional, yes. who weren't just there to be funny or to, like, make a joke uh, and then scurry away. Mm-hmm. You know, like, they have depth. They're complicated. They're not exactly who you think they are when you meet them. There's a lot more going on underneath. Um, and that's what we were trying to speak to. I think for gay men in my generation, which is probably close to your generation, although I don't know. <laughs> the lighting isn't great. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think that... For me and a lot of my gay friends, we didn't so much struggle with coming out uh-huh. as like, you know, gay guys in New York City, you know, or L.A. or like places where it was generally accepted or where you could find people like in the yourself. Community. Yeah. <laughs> um, or, you know, an LGBTQ mecca like that. Yeah, yeah. But but what we struggled with and continue to to varying degrees, uh, depending on what's happening in your life, is how masculine you were. Right. And we really put masculinity um, on a pedestal, even while we were critical of it, we were secretly or not so secretly drawn to it. And I don't think it's it's exclusive to gay men. I think we see this in culture with athletes, with all these superhero movies, with action stars. You know, there are actors who are like exploding with muscles on Instagram. And I'm sorry, but that is not natural. Like they are using some sort of supplement or God knows what it is, but no one talks about it. You know, it's just kind of something that, you know, we we treat with actually a great deal of admiration and respect. Mm-hmm. And, and people are trying to aspire to that. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's interesting. And I and there's definitely a very specific strain of that, at least in my generation, in uh, gay men that I know. And it's really nice to see a film that's metabolizing all that conversation out loud because it's really ever present. And like you say, I don't think it is specific to just gay men. I think men feel like they have to look a certain way, which is actually wild because it's kind of like the 80s all over again. Like there was a weird patch for 15 years where it wasn't. And I feel like we're back there and I don't know why. That's so interesting. Yeah, I often think about those like grunge days and like the Nirvana days when it was like cool to be sort of like vulnerable and sort of into sort of like Mm -hmm. being a little bit. And I I never thought I would hear myself say this, but I kind of miss that sort of like Mm. earnest, like uh, sort of embrace of sadness. Mm. <laughs> you know, that, that 90s were comfortable with. But also, I think uh, what I also wonder, which, you know, the film made me ask, is like, do we also tarnish people who present as bros with one brush of like, oh, you've got a problem, you're just trying to be masculine. We should actually be able to say that anyone can be whatever. Of know? course. And it's really yeah. interesting, and, isn't it? Of course. And, and you know, I... Aaron is who he is. It's not like he made a conscious choice to be someone on the outside that's completely in conflict with who he really is on the inside. You know, that's who he is. And on some level, that's who Luke is. You know, like, um, you know what I mean? I I, 100%. We've talked about this before, you know. And it's not saying that, like, oh, masculinity is bad in any way. But as a gay man, among my friends, we can brand people as being fucked up because they, they're just trying to be a bro and they need to But do you know what I think the real distinction is for me, and, and I, I really love this about Aaron, is, you know, he, he says I'm not really on the apps and stuff like that. Um, where I think we can be sort of fairly critical of the person that's presenting is the one that's also presenting to the world, but also presenting through like some digital thing. Mm-hmm. So you see this right. pre- present presentation of broiness that is sort of commoditized or sort of mm-hmm. Instagramatized, which is very different than the actual like, I spend my weekends doing these types of things. I'm not going to tell you about it because that mm-hmm. doesn't give me social capital. It's actually how you live. That's where we get a little confusing is because we're using that social capital in a very public way. Yeah, and and you know we're all 
we're all co- saying, oh, that person's fucked up. We're all fucked up. You know, fucked up just means like you're, com- you're complicated mm-hmm. and that, you know, on the outside, it might look like you have it all together, whether that's because your body's a certain way or you've gone to a certain place in your career or you're financially successful. But, you know, underneath, we're all dealing with all kinds of insecurities. Um, and um, especially when confronted as as what happens in bros, like with someone you really love – that can sometimes make you feel great and at the same time bring to the surface some of those insecurities because you're so worried about it not working out and not being all that not being all the things that you think that other person wants you to be or needs you to be or being a lesser man you know exactly and the yeah. fetishization of maleness in gay relationships and yes. being like oh i'm actually I'm not meeting up to their idea, you know. That whole thing when you meet someone and you act straighter than you are, you know what I mean? And it, then, that's exactly it. You know. Yeah. And then you kind of finally let your guard down. And it's all much better from there, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Now, boys, we've been asking our listeners to this podcast uh, to tell us about their dating disasters. So first thing we asked was... Um, Tell us about your worst date you've ever been on, or tell us what you think of your dating life. My dating life is a dumpster fire, 82% uh, said yes. My dating life is a dream, only 18%, so I am so sorry. Um, (laughs) One of the listeners who wrote in, who calls themselves Lindsay Lohan's therapist, which is amazing, said, tell us your dating disasters. I went on the third date with a guy when I finally realised I had had his name wrong the whole time. Oh, wow, that's so interesting. Also, that, that he wasn't ever corrected. <laughs> like it, it's, it's so passive aggressive. It yeah. volumes of this other guy. That's really funny. It's, he took "Call Me by Your Name" to a whole different. Level. <laughs> call me by any name. By any Just name. Call, please call Just me. Call I'm me. so lonely and horny. Do you have any dating disasters that rings a bell? I was at the gym once, and I walked up to this person, and I said, um, "You know, I would kick myself if I didn't." say hello and that uh, I think you're very very handsome and are you single and if you are I'd really like to take you on a date I've never heard this story to which he said one I am single two I'm not interested in going on a date what it was crazy it was so aggressive and I was like thank you very much wow yeah and you were being so nice yeah, you know. But it was also weird. Like, I, there's this funny thing that happens when you do put yourself in that position where you walk away feeling like, oh, I'm, I'm glad. I mean, that's kind of what acting is, is putting yourself in these ridiculously impossible mm-hmm. situations mm-hmm. over and over again. So I, I actually remember walking away from that experience feeling good about myself. I actually prefer the person to say to your face, no, I'm not interested, sorry. As opposed to the most frustrating thing for me, which isn't quite as like a fun anecdote, but which is the most frustrating thing, which we all do, which are these long, drawn out, weeks long, months long, passive aggressive exchanges over text 
where you yeah. don't know how the other person feels. And then, of course, they're not interested, but they're just showing you enough interest to drive you insane. Yeah. And that's the worst thing. You know, I'd rather someone at the club just be like, no, sorry, not you're not my thing. Then, like, pretend that maybe they will or maybe they won't. That's the, th- the shit that drives you crazy. It was also a relief, too, like, because his answer was so mean. The then tone it, of it, it was, was funny. so like <laughs> mean. I was like, "Oh, you're a mean person." Right. In which case, you don't want to be no. with them anyway. Yeah. No, you sort of did the whole relationship in one quick flash because they're going to talk like that. But I, do you think that's quite a specifically gay thing that people can be quite transactional? Because I've had it in a club where I went up to someone to try to talk to them. He was really tall and he was really handsome, mm-hmm. and I, I reckon he got approached the whole time. And I walked up and I went hi, and he literally went no. He looked oh. at me, went no, and turned around. And I, this was in Sugarland in Brooklyn in New York. Okay, yeah. Was it Sugarland? Was yeah. It called? And yeah. and I was like, oh, oh well, <laughs> move on. But is it a queer community thing? Are we a bit transactional? Yeah, we definitely are. That's still, and we're mean. Yeah, it's really shitty. Mm. There's like a viciousness. I was just saying this, you know, in relation to gays on, you know, Twitter and all that. You know, for those yes. familiar with the boys in the band, mm-hmm. you know, you think a play or a movie like that is going to be is dated. Yeah. Right, because it's pre-Stonewall and it's a bunch of gay guys who, in theory, are friends with each other, who you know party together and end up like ripping each other apart in these like vi- in very vicious, unnecessarily vicious personal ways. Mm-hmm. And people who think that sort of a thing is dated, it has just moved to social media. Really, you know, yeah. yeah. How is gay Twitter for bros? It's all over the map. You know, there are people who are very supportive of it. Um, but, you know, that's just the nature of the beast online. I mean, 90% of the discourse uh, that anything that, that bros inspires is coming from people who haven't watched the movie. Really? You know? Yeah. I mean, it's just like discourse on top of discourse on top of discourse. And mm-hmm. people love venting their, you know, it's so obvious what it is. It's, it's, it's people projecting their own feelings of anger and frustrations regarding their own inadequacies or what they perceive to be inadequacies onto something else. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's pretty obvious. Um, but it's just amazing to the degree that it happens, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, um, yeah, it's comp- it's complicated. Yeah, you know, it's a, I'm not on Twitter, and I. <laughs> That's very smart of you. No, but it's weird. Uh, like, and everybody always says, like, "Oh my god, it's so great, you're not on Twitter." It's like I am terribly dyslexic. Right. So the idea of people seeing how terribly oh, dyslexic, <laughs> yeah, that dyslexia has saved me from social media. I never got Facebook for the exact same wow, reason because I... I was like, I didn't want people to see the thing that I was the most insecure about. Mm-hmm. And it just happened to be mm-hmm. the arena that I could really showcase that oh, particular. God, I wish I was dyslexic. <laughs> yeah. You're lucky. Dyslexic saved my life. <laughs> yeah. But tell me a bit about your own uh, growing up and coming out experiences. Were they positive things? I was very lucky. You know, I grew up in New York City um, with very liberal parents. And they probably figured I was gay from a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I finally came out, I came out when I was 20 years old to mm-hmm. them. You know, I think they were prepared for it. Actually, my mother kind of like gently pushed me out of the closet. We were eating dinner um, and out of nowhere, we had never talked about me being gay. She said, so are you dating anyone, boy, girl, whatever? <laughs> and like, <laughs> which is actually really sweet. And this was 1999, all right? You know, you know, we didn't grow up with Heartstopper. No. So uh, it was actually very sweet, right? It, very sweet of her. And then I remember being like, oh, Jesus, okay. Mm. And then like later that night we were driving. They were driving me home. I was in college. And uh, I said, all right, pull over. 
And I said, as it turns out, I'm gay. Oh, um, and as it turns out, I'm gay. I was always prefacing. It. Yeah, I still do. Let me put this in context. Yeah. I know, you know that I'm gay, but I'm telling you. Um, the self-aware nature of it. Yeah, self-aware, yeah. And so, um, and they were great. They were always really supportive. I was so, so lucky mm. um, in that way. Yeah. And with, how was it for you, Luke? I grew up in a small-ish town, London, Ontario, as it turns oh, out. Okay. Yes, we had. A, I grew up on Cheapside Street, is <laughs> my original street. We oh, had a really? Thames River and all. I knew I was gay probably, uh, you know, around the eighth grade. And um, like my dyslexia, it pushed me to these interesting places because I was like, one thing I was sure about is I couldn't be gay in London, Ontario. Mm-hmm. Um, I was starting to get the inklings I wanted to be an actor. And I kind of knew in the back of my head, like, oh, I can be gay in New York City. Mm-hmm. And I auditioned for Juilliard, and I got in. And when I, once I got there, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be gay now that I'm an acting student. Turns out it took another year. Yeah. And then when I finally made the decision that I needed to tell somebody, and I never hooked up with anybody. It was all mm-hmm. theoretical. Mm-hmm. I remember coming home for a Christmas and saying, Mom, Dad, I'm gay. I think my dad at first thought it was like a joke. Mm. He actually thought like, oh, he has like a theater school guy. You're like playing a joke. You're an actor. (laughs) No, I was like, oh, really? I'm gay. I think it was hard for them. But like where I'm eternally grateful is they were smart enough and educated enough and sort of liberal enough that they never made it my problem Mm -hmm. that I was gay. It was them. And, And he, my father sort of hid his discomfort, uh, with that for a very long time. Um, And and then I had a boyfriend four years later. Right? Yeah. I still haven't had one. But we're waiting. (laughs) I came out in 1999 and that was the first step. Uh, Well, listen, yeah, you do at your own speed. Can I ask you to help me with an agony uncle question from one of our listeners as well? So we answer our listeners' problems. Mm. We have a dating problem. Mm. You two are very well positioned to answer this. I still feel for my ex 24 months after a 13-year relationship. Wow. Can you ever make it work with an ex? Yes. Ooh. That's my personal. I, I don't know if that's for everybody. I think anything's possible. It depends. You can't make generalizations, probably. Mm-hmm. It depends on what would the what the source of your breakup was. I would say, can you make it work as far as becoming friends? I don't know if that's what mm-hmm. he's asking. I think he wants to go back. Oh, yeah. that? No, no, no. Oh, really? I, I, I don't know if you can. But you can become <laughs> friends. It can become something else. <laughs> but you have. Well, no, no, no. I, I've become, I, I'm sorry. I thought it was, can you become friends with an ex? No, can you get back together with someone else? Yeah, I misunderstood yeah. completely. So take me out. So Dyslexia. I <laughs> once got back together with someone, mm-hmm. and we went through, like, this two-week, like, the whole two-year relationship, but in two weeks of, like, mm-hmm. instant attraction, being like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And then oh, day yeah. three, it was like, mm, you're annoying me. Right. Day five, you know what I mean? So I think... The sonnet version of your relationship. Yeah, great. We could have just done that. But... <laughs> Unless you're going to sit down, as I'm trying to advise this listener, unless you're going to sit down and talk about why you broke up. Yeah, that's what I mean. What was the source of your breakup? You yeah, know, that's that's something that uh, probably you have to explore. Cheating? Yeah, cheating. Would you ever forgive cheating? Yes. Mm. Really? I can forgive a lot. Right. <laughs> it depends. It, de- it depends. It depends. I need specifics. You're right. Yeah. yeah. On what the cheating is. How often, with who, what was the context, how long have we been dating, mm-hmm. what are the rules of our relationship regarding yeah. whether it's open, all of that. You know? Yeah. When people talk about cheating, I just, I just hear it's lying that is the problem. Everybody, yeah. everybody lies. Yeah. All the time. 
Do you lie 34 times a day? I, I, I don't. As in not you specifically. I read this morning that people lie 34 times a day. 34? Yeah. About oh. what? Yeah. What are they lying about 34 times a day? I loved bros. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I do hear that a lot. See, I told you they were lovely. Wasn't that a nice chat? I seem to embarrass myself about four times, but there you go. That's my dating hell. Um, next week, everybody, I'm going to be chatting to Tom Allen. Tom Allen, comedian, writer, extraordinaire, all of the things. Love him. He's written a really good book. It's called Too Much, so have a read of that. Get it for your mum. It's really poignant and sad as well as being funny. So we'll get into that next week. I really want to hear from you listeners. It's hello at Homo Sapiens Podcast, at Homo Sapiens on Instagram, at Homo Sapiens Podcast on Facebook. Comments, questions, agony uncles, agony uncles are anonymous. Hello at Homo Sapiens Podcast.com. T-shirts. If you want a free T-shirt, write a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you win review of the week, you will get a free brand new Homo Sapiens T-shirt. What a wonderful thing. As we head into Christmas as well, just saying. Listeners, this has been lovely. If you may have noticed we got through the whole thing with no baby screaming so one happy camper over here uh, sending you loads of love and we'll see you next week bye powered by spirit studios